Good morning. How are you? You doing well? Amazingly well. I'm doing, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for asking. I want to also welcome those uh, that are joining us online. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, my name's Greg, one of the pastors. We're, we're starting a new series today that will lead us up to Palm Sunday and then Easter, and so this would be the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, and so uh, the series is called Becoming Salt and Light, Making a Difference in Your World. And this series is actually a continuation of our last series, Back to Basics, and, and, and maybe more specifically, it's a, a natural continuation of Pastor Chris's message to us last week, caring for the lost, the poor, the sick, and the brokenhearted. And so that, that's something that means a lot to us and something that we want to engage in as a church moving forward. And today, we would like to begin a conversation with you about personal evangelism. And uh, now before this cold sweat breaks out uh, in you or on you or, or before you sink into the quicksand of guilt, uh, Catholic guilt or otherwise, uh, let me just say to you that we're taking a little different approach uh, than many, if not most, contemporary churches in this. Uh, the question that we want to ask is, what does the New Testament say about God's church, or how does God's church impact our culture? What's the Bible say? What's the New Testament specifically say about that? That's the framing question uh, for this series. And for some of you, this may be a review, but I'm expecting that for, for many of us, uh, maybe even most of us, this will be a, a completely new paradigm for you uh, to think about and to practice. Uh, the big picture here is that we can see the New Testament. Uh, we, we don't want to launch into a program. This is not about an evangelistic program. This is about a lifestyle that we see in and through the New Testament. So I just wanted to set that up. And before we jump into the passage that we're gonna be in today, I have two theological perspectives that I'd like to review with you. It's, it's two things I've said a couple of times, at least a couple of times in the last six months, but I just wanna go back over these so that, that uh, we know where we're starting from. Uh, our church is so eclectic. I was telling Barbara this earlier this morning. I've just kind of realized this. We have people from all different kinds of backgrounds, high church, low church, charismatic, non-charismatic, et cetera, et cetera, that I think when we talk to the church, we really have to go back down to kind of the theological foundations, the historic theological foundations, and talk a lot about the why before we talk about the what. So some of this is about the why that I wanna just start with. And here's, there's two things, two theological truths I just wanna review before we launch in here. The first one, sometimes we confuse the fruit for the goal. Now what do I mean by that? Church is not the goal. 
I've said that before. Church is not the goal. So what's the goal? The kingdom of God is the goal. And the kingdom is distinctive from the church. They are overlapping, but they are separate. And so what's, what's the goal then? The goal is to perceive, to live into, to expand the kingdom of God. That's the goal. What's the fruit? Well, the fruit is the church. So the goal is the kingdom. We're not in this to do church, in other words. We're in this to expand the kingdom. That's, if you're an intentional follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you're called to be a part of expanding the kingdom. And as we do that, the fruit of that is the church. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And he's going to consummate the kingdom when he comes back again. I want to look for a moment at a passage of scriptures, Luke 4, 18 and 19. And this is where Jesus comes on the scene. And you might know the story. You go back and read the first couple of, the first three chapters, four chapters of Luke. Jesus, uh, when he began his ministry, went out into the desert, right? And he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. And thank you for all those who joined in our fast this last week. Uh, We're going to do that again. Uh, But 40 days, like water only, fast. But then it says he came out of the desert filled with the Holy Spirit or in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection between power and fasting, but we'll talk about that later. And so Jesus comes out, he goes to church, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and reads from Isaiah 61. This is a quote from Isaiah 61. And then at the end of the quote, He says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and people got kind of angry with him. It'd be like if if Frank read that, a lot of you know Frank really well, it'd be like if Frank read that and said, and today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. You'd go, well, I like Frank, but I'm not sure that he's like the Messiah. And and some of you might even be angry for him to say that, but maybe that's a poor illustration because Frank's not here today to defend himself, but... Uh, he's at home. But anyway, Jesus, this is what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's the kingdom, folks. That's, we're called to participate in this uh, with alongside of Jesus to expand the kingdom of God. Now, when we're talking to people who are believers, we often, get, we often struggle with this word preach. If we could have the next slide there. See, the, we struggle with that. And uh, Jesus' followers are apt to say, well, if you're calling me to preach to people, that ain't going to happen. But that word uh, preach, you know what it means? It means just to announce good news. It doesn't mean to prepare a sermon like I've prepared for for today. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about simply announcing good news, like a town crier in the old days would come, ring a bell, come into the town square, hear ye, hear ye. And he would, uh, or she, I don't know, would give uh, updates from the magistrate or the mayor or the king or whatever, but this is kingdom activity that it's talking about there. And, and when you get the chance, I would encourage you to go back and read Isaiah 61, where this is equivalent. It's 11 verses, and it really gives a beautiful description of what the kingdom is and how God 
will cause it to proliferate and how, how God will cause it to inhabit the earth in, in the days ahead of us. And so the goal is to continue to propagate the, the kingdom of God uh, on the earth and the fruit is the propagation of the church, this thing called church. And this, uh, the capital C church means the whole church. There's about two billion people who call themselves Christians. And so the capital C church would be all of those people, the visible church, all of those people. And then the capital C church has been multiplied into millions of little social units called local churches, of which we are one, every local church like every individual believer, has a distinctive manner and a distinctive calling. Now, let me just stop here and give you a commercial for next weekend. Uh, in that summit, what we want to do is begin to discover what makes our church unique and distinctive. We're not better than any other church. We're not worse than any other church in the region, but we are distinctive. God has called us to something, and that's the drama, the challenge of this transition season is to identify who we are as a church. What makes us distinctive as a church? One of the distinctives that I've realized is our eclectic manner in which we gather people from all different kinds of traditions. That's unique and distinctive about what else? And so we're inviting you to participate in this uh, and so I just want to invite you to come out for that. Okay, here's a way to think about it. We serve a missionary God. What's that mean? Well, the Father sent the Son. Next slide. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sends us. You see how that works? That's we serve a missionary God. In that sense, you know, we're all miss missionaries, every single one of us. And, and here, here's what I'd like to say to you. No matter what you do to earn a living or how you contribute to your household, your, your real, our real vocation, our true vocation is that of a missionary. And, and by the way, there's no such thing as retirement. Only reassignment. So if you're close or have retired, uh, we want you in the game. And so the, the church is the fruit of a kingdom focus, the fruit of kingdom endeavor. A second way that we tend to confuse the fruit for the goal is thinking or believing that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go and make disciples. We, we've, some of us have been told that the Great Commission is the goal of the church. It's not. It's not the goal of the church, it's the fruit. So what's the goal? The goal is the great commandment. That's the goal of the church, found in Matthew 22, 37 to 42. And if we could put that up there, that'd be great. This is the goal of the church. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. Now, I want you to look at the, at the words all in here. And so you'll read that and say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And what you're thinking, what I hope you're thinking is, I'm done, I'm out, I can't do that. And you know what, we can't. And I think that's why it says all three times, and that's why it says to love our neighbor as ourselves, because God, Matthew, wants us to come to the place where we realize, I can't do that. That's the whole point, is for us to say, I can't do that. So we begin to depend on God, uh, the gospel of God, the empowering gospel of God to help us to love him more, to help us to love him with our heart and our soul and our mind, and then what could be particularly difficult sometimes is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so that is the goal of the Christian life. This is what we want to go back to this. And then the fruit of that is that we go and make disciples. But sometimes we, you have kind of more religious people who think the, the, the goal is to go and make disciples, but they're, they're not fueled and filled with love as they go. And so it kind of feels awkward and harsh and sometimes even angry. And so I suggest we start here. The great commandment, love God and love people. You know, that, that's some, these verses summarize the whole Old Testament. We tend to make things difficult. Jesus comes and he makes them simple. Now, it's simple to say, but hard to do, right? Because we have to surrender. We get to surrender before God. So the primary calling of the active, intentional follower of Jesus, again, it's simple, but it's not easy, is to love God and to love people. The goal of the Christian life to pursue a passionate love for God and a passionate love for people. And the fruit of loving God and loving people is that we go and make disciples. So again, love fuels, love energizes the going, but we want to start with the love piece. And then I just want to say there's always an EGR in our life. Some of you know what an EGR is. Some of this, is, some of this will be new for you. An EGR is... Extra grace required. That's an EGR. Now, we're all EGRs sometimes, right? And if you're married, you've been in EGR. There's times when one of you or the other of you is an EGR, extra grace required. And so what I want to say to you is that in your life, whether it's at work, extended family, hopefully you're not sitting next to a, uh, an EGR today, or a chronic EGR today, because we are all that. But... Um, what I want to say to you is that God places EGRs in our life. Work, hopefully extended family, not household, and then certainly in church. There's always people that rub us the wrong way in church. And I just want you to see that. And I also want you to see that God has sent them. God has placed them in your life on purpose. So it's good to acknowledge that and allow that to continue. Now, sometimes we have to have boundaries and have to have conversations, things like that. But I just wanted to let you know that, that that concept of EGR is a real thing. This is where our staff and our elders would like to challenge you this Lenten season. Uh, next slide. This is how we want to challenge you. In holy anticipation of Resurrection Sunday, let's do two things. Petition God to increase and expand our insight and understanding of the beauty and the power of the gospel. That's where I want you to start. Lord, 
Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling. We want you to pray that. Lord, and I've told you before, I've got more theology in here than I do in here. And I want the theology, the gospel that's here to, to drift down and capture my heart in a new way. And second, petition God uh, to grace us with an increased awareness of and love for the people that God has already placed in our lives. We want you to become aware of the people that God has placed in our lives. That's a challenge. And after the longest introduction in sermon history, now I'm going to turn towards our text. Uh, And so today I'd like us to uh, look at Mark chapter 5, verses 18 and 20. It's on page 833 in the, the Bibles that are nearby to you. And I'd like you to ask you to stand as I read this, if you don't mind. Yeah, thank you. If you can. Because uh, you're going to be sitting down for a really long time. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. So we're, we're in Mark 5, 18 to 20. And Jesus was getting into the boat And the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home. And that's what we're going to focus on today. That Greek word is oikos, to your family, and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So this is what the man did. He started off uh, to visit the ten towns, and some of your Bibles would say Decapolis, of uh, that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Uh, Lord, we give this time to you. Um, Thank you. I pray that you would be the teacher today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for doing that. Now, we want to get back to that word home or oikos, but just in case you're distracted about this idea of demon-possessed man, let me just say... uh, that demon possession is a thing. It's a real thing. Uh, It comes under the category of spiritual warfare. And so uh, demons and spiritual, that's a thing. And so the the big question over the years has been, can a Christian have a demon or can a Christian be demon possessed? The answer to that is no. Uh, Can a Christian be oppressed by demonic activity? The answer to that is yes. Let me just briefly give you my theology of spiritual warfare. You can be in a dark room, and you can try and pray out the darkness or cast out the darkness, or you can reach over and flip on the switch, and the light comes on. And so here's my theology of spiritual warfare in a nutshell, just to help you uh, think about this. When we feel oppressed, when when there's darkness over us, over our family, over our church, what we need to do is invite Jesus in. So just remember that when your kids are going to bed or that kind of thing, invite Jesus in. And when the light comes, the darkness does what? It flees, right? So spiritual warfare is about inviting Jesus into whatever situation you're in. 
And then that idea of Decapolis, maybe you didn't know this, but the, the Decapolis was a, a federation of 10 different cities or towns on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire. And this is where Greek uh, settler soldiers went, uh, and, and they had their own court system, currency, temples, theaters, armies, and there was no love lost between the Jewish people and the people of the 10 cities or towns in the Decapolis. And so that's a, it's an interesting thing to think about, how Jesus delivered this guy, and then he went and was an evangelist to the Decapolis, where, where not many Jews would be or where not many Jews would go. And so uh, what we want to talk about today, there's three things I want to try and cover quickly. Uh, we want to take a look at the Greek word oikos. We want to consider who our people are. The title of the sermon, Go Home to Your People, that's what Jesus told him, the, the demoniac and then provide some biblical perspective on how to pray for and practically love and serve the people that God has, I would say, sovereignly placed in our lives. So let's go back into, to the first one, the Greek word uh, oikos. Uh, you might know oikos as uh, a yogurt, uh, and it's, it's pretty good too. Uh, so it's a popular brand uh, and getting a little more popular from what I can tell. Uh, but I'd like to introduce you to what many theologians and church historians call the oikos principle. Oikos principle. The word oikos is used 120 times throughout the New Testament. It's most often translated house or household. And the word, it's, it's not describing the structure of a house. It's describing the inhabitants of the house. And here's my best concise description or definition of what an oikos is. Oikos is a social system composed of those people connected to each other through shared ties and or tasks. I, I really worked hard to condense that into something that would be uh, straightforward for you. And so it, it's, it's your sphere of consistent relationships. Let me give you an example of one of mine. Uh, I work at, from home two weeks a month and I've been getting to know our mailman. You know, he comes and brings packages, and he's a pretty talkative guy, and it's been really fun to interact with him. And then the other day I was at CVS, and I ran into him. We had some more uh, conversation. And so he's part of my oikos. He's a, he's a person that I see regularly in my life. And so w when I hear him coming, uh, hear the mail truck or something, I try to position myself outside. We have an orange tree, so I'll offer him some oranges, and I'll just try and talk to him, and I'm just trying to get to know him. I haven't preached at him yet. I'm just trying to get to know the guy. So anyway, that's an example. We all have that in our lives. Uh, I'll point out this, that anth anthropologists have identified three universal units of every society and every culture throughout recorded history, right? Uh, we, are, we, we, we have social systems based on three things. Every culture, uh, every um, a society, universal principle throughout recorded history, three things, common kinship, uh, second is common community, and third is common interests. And so that's how we begin to identify what our oikos is. So why are we talking about oikos? Because in the New Testament, oikos 
the oikos principle became oikos evangelism, which became the chief strategy that God used to expand the kingdom of God and to populate the church. Michael Green, he's a British guy, wrote a book. It's a classic now called Evangelism in the Early Church. It was written in 1970, so it's about 50 years old. And he, he talks about how the oikos principle became uh, oikos evangelism. And in his book, he observes that the New Testament church vigorously adhered to the oikos principle as its primary strategy for advancing God's kingdom. And so the early Christians knew when the message of faith was heard and demonstrated by friends, family, who were known and trusted, then barriers to the gospel were removed and receptivity to the message increased dramatically. So that's what we're talking about here. I want to read you a paragraph from a, a, a letter in the, the second century letter. You might want to write this down or take a picture of this. Uh, epistle to Di Diognetus. It's a long E. Diognetus. This was a, a letter written from one friend to another friend about why the church was growing so quickly. And it can be traced back to, let's see what it is, I can't, uh, uh, 130 to 200 AD. So it's in second century. And it's, it's a longer letter. I want to read you just one paragraph here. Letter to Diognetus. This is what it says. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own lands, but they live as aliens. For every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land is as their foreign country. They marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously, but behave respectfully. They are mocked and blessed in return. And when they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as if, as if having been given new life. That's why the church grew so quickly in the first and second centuries. I would like to cut and paste this and make it our purpose statement as a church. I don't, I don't think we'll do that, but let's pay attention to this. What we see is that life change or life transformation, it, it catches the attention of people. One of these days, you might have somebody at work say, you know, you're kind of a jerk, but, but why are you being so kind to me? You know, when, when, they, when people begin to see us changing, you can't be the good news if you're the bad news. There's that. If you're an EGR at work, chronically, it's going to be harder, right? 
But when people see us, you and me begin to change. It's not about knowing the Bible backwards and forwards, is it? When you think of how you became a Christian, the vast majority of us in this room became a Christian, if you are a Christian here today, through the, a relationship, a friendship of somebody else. And so th those are the kinds of things that we're talking about here. Who are our people? It shouldn't be too hard to figure out. Our oikos consists of all the people that we come in contact with on a regular and consistent basis. It might be our family, our friends, neighbors, co-workers, the other parents on your kids' sports team, your hairstylist. I've been looking for one. If you know of anybody, let me know. Your ha <laughs> you got to go with the obvious jokes, right? Uh, golf buddies, business associates, your mechanic, your carpool buddies, your dentist. Uh, and here's, here's what it looks like. Oikos, friends, neighbors, relatives, other, uh, work, school, mailman would be there. Uh, and, and so there's, there's people in our lives. And I would say that God has placed those people in your life. So what we're asking you to do is, is to think about who those people are. It's specific and it's measurable. Who are all the people in your life currently that you see on a regular basis at work and the neighborhood, all those places that I mentioned. And what we'd like you to do is write those names down. Just write them down. And then put them somewhere where you'll see it. And just simply begin to pray for those people. And simply begin to love those people and care about those people. We don't want you, we're not saying to jump in and share the gospel with them. That's not what we're saying. And so we've, we've also, we have this, where'd it go? The card that we placed on the seats. We have this, and then on the back, you can begin to write some of those people down uh, on, on the card. Statistically, the vast majority of us have between 8 and 15 people in our oikos, in our sphere of relationships that are unchurched or dechurched people. There's people out there now that have been de-churched, that they've been hurt in some way by the church. Maybe some of you, uh, most of us have been hurt by the church. Uh, but anyway, there's these people that are out there. And then to move on here, how to pray for and practically love and serve the people that God has sovereignly placed in our lives. We want to talk about that for a moment, and we'll talk about more of this next week. Um, when you have the opportunity to interact with people, here's the biggest thing you can do. Be fully present. Even if it's at the water cooler and you're, you're talking for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, be fully present with that person. Don't be distracted. Don't look past them. Look them right in the eye and listen. Listen well. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and give them advice that isn't asked for. Don't jump to the gospel. One of my mentors said, help is not help unless it's perceived as help. It's in the Bible somewhere. It should be if it isn't, right? Uh, so don't try and fix people. Listen well to people. That's where it all starts. And here's something that may confound some of you. Empathy is a better relational connector than sympathy. And maybe we'll talk about that more next week. But if that, some of you get it, 
Some of you will have to think about that. Empathy is a, more, uh, is a better relational connector than sympathy. Here's the big idea that's printed in your bulletin. The, the universal longing for full acceptance and belonging is the core issue that must be addressed and hopefully experienced in our evangelistic efforts. Again, it's not about you knowing the Bible backwards and forwards. It's about us loving people. It's about us being fully present. It's about us actually caring about people. Remember the, the great commandment, love God, love people. Love the people that he's placed in your life. And again, I would say sovereignly. It's always helpful for us to remember, to keep in mind, and I'll, I'll just direct that at you, but it's also true of me. When you were at your worst, when, when you had your, your, your most depraved, the most depraved moment of your life, and some of us have had depraved seasons of our life, when you were at your worst, God loved you and continued to pursue you. Everyone in your sphere of relationships, God loves and cares about, and I'm inviting you to ask God to give you a love for them, even the EGRs, and just start by being fully present. Start by listening well to them. Here's what I want you to hear today. What we're talking about here, the oikos principle, oikos evangelism, this is not a program that we're introducing to try and grow our church. I'm not talking about that. Church growth is the fruit. <clears throat> it's not the goal. What's the goal? Love God. Love people. Make disciples. We're not talking about a program. We're talking about a lifestyle. We're, we're talking about fruitfulness in sharing love and life with people. It's our desire to go back to the basics. If we could have the next slide. Here's the basics of the Christian life. And we've talked about kind of reforming our spiritual formation or discipleship process. I, th I think these are foundational stones or pieces to a spiritual formation process for our church moving forward. First and foremost, love God. Second, love people. Third, participate in the expansion of God's kingdom. And four, serve faithfully in a local church. I can't think of anything that I would add to that in terms of your discipleship, your spiritual formation, or my discipleship. Now, these need to be expanded on, but, but this is the basis. This is the foundation of spiritual formation, spiritual maturity, the discipleship process. So what we're saying to you is we want to go back and, and really consider these and, and found out, find out how we can help you, you can help me to grow in these areas. So concluding this, as we move forward towards celebrating the Lord's Supper, I want to close with a verse from uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Uh, 
this kind of summarizes what I've just tried to say to you. So here's Peterson's paraphrase. Peterson wrote uh, the message on the train going from home to his work in Chicago. And he, he, ended, he, wrote it for, he started writing it for his kids, and it developed into what we know as the message today. A studied man, pastor of pastors, just passed away a couple years ago. Um, he says, I didn't take, this is Paul speaking, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. That's awesome, folks. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the gospel. He wrote the message. I changed it to the gospel. Thank you, Eugene. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And that's where I'd ask you to start today. Do you want to be in on this thing called kingdom expansion? And that God uses us. I'm not asking you to be the evangelist of your oikos. You know what I'm asking you to consider? Be the priest of your oikos. Pray, love, serve, listen, encourage, be a blessing. And in the fullness of time, God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel. And we'll be talking more about that in the days ahead.